0: I'm Tina Andrew, and you are listening to Cultivating Indigenous Voices. Today's guest is Ruben, who is here to tell his story as an artist. Skooktash Awtham! I'm Tina Andrew, and I'm here with a special guest, Ruben, who is a painter, muralist, and illustrator. Thanks for coming into the studio today to share your story.
1: Thank you for having me, Tina. Um, my name is Ruben Urea Moreno, and um, I'm a Tucson native. I grew up in South Tucson. Um, my parents are, um, my mom is from Nogales, Gloria, and my dad Henry is from, uh, his family came here in 41. My nana and tata came from Puebla, and um, um, currently I work at the Arizona State Museum. I'm going on seven years there, which is kind of hard to believe. and. I, my title there is the uh, Senior Exhibit Preparator which basically puts me in charge of bringing the curator's script to life in the form of uh, a museum exhibit uh, and that entails making anything from cases to frames to mounts for objects to sit in and, and float magically um, it's fascinating work and I feel really fortunate to be there
0: That's pretty awesome and As long as you've been an artist, when did that all start for you as a child? But as an adult, when you really started to apply your artistic skills, uh, would you say that you're more self-taught or did you go to school for that, for art? I'm definitely self-taught. The
1: only schooling I have, and this is funny, there was a um, drinking and driving contest my freshman year that the city had and I did this this poster and it was this really kind of horrific car crash scene and I won and so I actually, the prize was um, Art 101, like a summer class at the U of A and that's My only, like, art school. That's my only schooling uh, (laughs) outside of high school. But I owe my artistic abilities, a lot of them, to my nana, Berta Moreno, who really put the energy into, like, making sure that I had all the tools for creation and going to my grandmother's house every weekend uh, because... My grandfather died when I was five. Um, I basically, like, would go and I would keep my grandmother company. I would help her do things. And then I would play and create, like, all weekend. It was, like, I had to go every single weekend. But I started to notice, like, I think in fifth or sixth grade when all my friends would, like, always ask me to draw things. And then in middle school, like, I started drawing on people's jeans and jackets with Sharpies. And, like, they would bring me stuff. They would bring me, like candy or cookies or sometimes they'd give me money. I was like, "Oh, there's something here, you know." <laughs> and then <laughs> and then in high school, I started to actually at Tucson High, I had Mr. Gabbage, which was an amazing art teacher, and he taught commercial art, and that's when like it all started to click. I'm like, "Oh, there's there's like there's career possibilities here." And so I just started putting myself out there and I started getting little gigs. I used to do window painting for businesses. What? Cool. Yeah, it was really fun. And my <laughs> uncle had a silk screen shop in South Tucson. It was called The Gizmo Factory, That's it was cool. on uh, 12th Avenue. And he put me to work cleaning screens, but more than anything, he put me to work drawing stuff for him, uh, for his jobs, for his t shirts. He did a lot of work for the Tucson Fire Department. And I remember doing so much logo work for the fire department. It was fun. Wow.
0: All kinds of different avenues to go with art, right? For sure. And people wouldn't think that or maybe they don't that far out when it comes to art. Maybe a lot of the times folks just think you're just drawing or you're painting something, but there's so much more that can go into being an artist.
1: Yeah. There, and there's, there's a whole building aspect of it, too. Like a, a lot of work that I've done, it goes beyond the 2D format. And I got build out my own frames and I like things that are just a little more visually interesting. So I tend to make things more complicated for myself, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't always good.
0: <laughs> um, and so what would you say your artwork represents? That is a great question. Um to me, being a Chicano
1: artist really—it came from Mexico's like muralism movement, mm-hmm. and in that movement, murals were were being used as ways to like talk with the people about injustices or like a struggling cause or even a commentary on corruption or a politician. It was always something very moving. It was always that it was meaningful and I've always gravitated toward that type of imagery and that type of artwork. I didn't want to be a Chicano artist, honestly. I wanted to be a contemporary artist. I even tried to make a series of art once that didn't have like any like Chicano like symbolism that was a little more um I guess modern. Uh the narrative aspect wasn't as strong and I didn't have a lot of fun doing it And I just gradually I just always keep going back to a narrative like stories and basically trying to depict things that are kind of tragic. A lot of times they're kind of sad, they're kind of hard, but also um, in a way that is is moving and uplifting or in a way that brings light to a situation. So I don't know if I'll ever be able to, like, move away from that. It's just what my heart goes back to
0: when it comes to creating something that you choose to do on your own when it comes to telling a story whether it's challenging whether it's a good thing where does that inspiration come from yeah
1: once in a while um people will ask me to do something and it's really it's really interesting and I'll and I'm like yeah I'm all about it and um and that's Usually, how like my life gets overloaded with too many things to do. But <laughs> I'm the older I get, I'm I'm learning to say no. But a uh, a lot of the work I'm doing is from um, writing that I do that will never see the light of day. Um, <laughs> all my work stems from a, a body of writing. That's how my imagery comes to life as I write it down first. Mm. And really, one of the reasons why is because. I can't visualize everything initially, like I have an idea of what I want to do, but since I can't visualize it, I can't sketch it. So I put it down in words and then it really starts to take shape. So each painting is kind of like a little research paper. And that's the part I love about art is the the history and the research and the symbolism. I'm like a symbolist by heart, like I just cannot get away from symbolism. But again, like, one of the driving forces behind my art, believe it or not, is sad music. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So, like, whenever I'm, <laughs> like, whenever I need to, like, get into into the mood to create or I'm having a hard time or I have a block, an artist block, mm-hmm. I'll just, I have this compilation that's, like, thousands of songs long that I've been wow. working on forever and ever. And it's <laughs> just, like, the saddest, like, most depressing music. And it's in that space mentally spiritually that i could find a way to what i'm envisioning
0: wow that's cool that's amazing <laughs> like that music of course can help to get that artistic whatever that is out mm-hmm. to help you to create mm-hmm. that's cool yeah um so In one of your most recent works, I learned that you designed a comic book cover of Itoi, which, by the way, for those who may not know who Ittoy, elder brother, is, he is believed to be the creator of All Autumn. And when I say All Autumn, for those who also may not know, here in Southern Arizona there are sister tribes of Otham. There's not just Thonat Otham, there's also Heachat Otham, there's Akamir Atham, there's Ankh Akamir Otham, um Akchen Indian Community, and um, to translate um Thana is Desert People, Heatched Otham is Sand People, Akamerd Otham is Hiller River people, and Ank Akamirda is Salt River people. Just a quick background on that. But, yes, it, growing up, you know, if you're familiar with the tribes, then you hopefully are aware that our creator is Iitoi, And I'll have you talk more about that. But first, <laughs> how did you get involved in that project? So uh,
1: there, uh, to create Iitoi, that was a product of a museum exhibit at the Arizona State Museum, wherein these uh, community curators uh, wanted to tell a story through animation and in the process of uh, creating character designs for the animation which was a huge pressure like i knew who i was creating like i was familiar with it like he's the man in the maze you know like everybody well i shouldn't say everybody but many people recognize that symbol the man in the maze so i knew like he was like a big deal and searching the internet far and wide there is little to nothing on what he looked like on his on his imagery and all we had to inspire us were some of the stories that were being told to, to us about him and so it was a collaborative effort but in general like the main things that that i encompassed in the designing of of what he looked like was that he was a runner, um, that he ran through the desert and he wore like caked mud on him, like the mud would dry. And the desert fauna would taint his skin, like stain his skin, like it would be like green, like creosote color, mesquite color. And so the image of of Itoy on the comic book cover, he's this very strong indigenous Ottoman man running and he's very fierce looking. You know, he was the ultimate warrior. You should see all the different drawings I did of his face. Like, honestly, <laughs> there was I must have did like 20 different faces because I just had to be right. And I just mm-hmm. I couldn't just go with like the first few that I came up with because it just there was a feeling I was trying to go for. And honestly, it was kind of like you're like creating like a Superman For the autumn people, you know, like (laughs) it needed to be at that level. Like he needed to be like just the ultimate, you know, so um, it was a total honor to create his his image. And in the process of the animation project, we had an idea of making this comic book cover as like a promotional thing.
0: Wow, that's amazing. When I did see the cover, the image, I was like, wow. Like, yeah, you're right. There's very little imagery of Itoi. He's only told in stories, and we can only imagine what he looks like in our own minds. But to see it, I had questions like, how did you decide what Itoi would look like, his demeanor, his body type, et cetera? And I'm Thank you f- for sharing how you thought of Putting that piece together, but that's amazing. <laughs> it made me
1: sweat. I'm not kidding. It made me sweat. I was like, oh man. <laughs> like I'm just thinking about when I was starting that the project. Like my my hands are my hands are clammy. You know, like.
0: <laughs> and so the exhibit. What is do you can you share a little bit more about what the exhibit is going to be focusing on?
1: Yeah, actually, and it, the exhibit is focusing on stories stories, but they're told in a contemporary format. And what they've done is they've taken the story of Hook and I'itoi um and they've found a way to like connect it to what happened to uh, uh, Native Americans, like basically everywhere. And that is the effects of like colonialism, the effects of religion, like what happened in the boarding schools. like, It's actually a really deep and a very powerful and and moving exhibit. And to see the way that they weaved the two together in a new format is a way of like taking the stories and then pushing them forward to today to, I feel like ultimately to get a lot of youth interested and reintroduced to these old stories. And that has always been important, not just with like Native Americans, but in like in Mexico, too, like there's a resurgence of people that are wanting to know about uh, Mesoamerican culture and because we just get farther and farther away from it every every passing year, you know, like 500 years plus removed from our like our ways. And we're just trying to connect in any ways that we can. And I feel like with Native Americans, it's the same loss of language, loss of ceremony. Um, those those things are really important to like bring into like a modern context so that people can continue to be interested in them.
0: Yeah, very true. All of that, and it's really cool to see the ways that folks are working um, hard. From what I've seen online, I believe it was April Ignacio and others that had this idea and and brought it to fruition.
1: Yes, that is right. Uh, Jennifer Juan who. Is uh, working for the Arizona State Museum through a Mellon grant and she reached out to uh, the community to get people to contribute to this this exhibit and um, Dietrich Lupe is also involved and Tony Burrell Um, so it's a really well-rounded like uh, group of curators Um, and everything that they created too was actually like um, shared with the community too so it was really important for them to get approval from from their community members.
0: Yes, especially the elders, I'm sure. Exactly, yes. Always important. And, you know, while doing my research uh, on you and your work, I also found that as a kid, or you originally felt like you wanted to be a, a comic book <laughs> designer, or talk totally. a little bit about that. And what happened? Is that dream still there?
1: You know, Comic books for my first love, like my nana, Bertha Moreno, she she found this box of beat up comic books at Goodwill. And I must have been like five or six years old and I was just in heaven. And you can imagine like there's just so much to work from there. Like so I just started diving into like the world of comics and drawing and seeking them out. And then running to the corner of the Circle K when they used to still have a comic book magazine rack, you know, and I would spin it around and I would save my money to buy it. But I wanted to be the youngest comic book artist, like, ever, like with Marvel or DC. And I I pursued that, but it just, it just wasn't happening, you know. Like, it takes a, a proximity to the industry to get into it, especially in the 90s. Like, nowadays it's very different because there's – you can go online. You can connect with people anywhere in the world. But in the '90s, you had to physically be there. You had to go to those towns and cities. And you know, I was a minor, like I couldn't just drive to <laughs> LA or Chicago and like connect with comic book creators. You know, like yeah. <laughs> you had to mail you had to mail your drawings in and, and hope that somebody would open a a, a Manila envelope yeah. and look at your work. You know, like it was so different. But to answer your question, yes, that part of me, I think, will always be there. Like, I'll always want to be a comic book creator. And uh, Jennifer Juan and April Ignacio are actually like, we should do a whole comic book of Yitoy. And I'm like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. But also, like, such a huge undertaking, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's, so it's not a whole comic book; it's just a comic book cover. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: okay. it was. I designed it to kind of get people excited about, like, oh wow, there's like a comic book story, but it's just a promotional poster, you know. So it, it looks like a comic book. It has the issue number and all that other fun stuff.
0: Yes, and um, this is going to be an exhibit that is going to be out in Hymtaki, which is out on the Thana Autumn Nation the nation's cultural center and museum and it's exciting that you know something like that is something new, something different, more contemporary is coming to the nation. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm excited for everybody to see it. So, what are you currently working on these days?
1: This year has really been um, a productive year for me. I have two things that that I want to do this that are like on the forefront of what I want to achieve this coming year. One of them is I'm trying to uh, start a new series that it would technically be Western art, but I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of like creating Western art through an indigenous and Mexican perspective. I think that there's a lot of stories there about how cowboys came to be. And when you look at Western art, those stories are missing. There was a lot of indigenous like um, people in Mexico and a lot of African slaves that were actually the first like real cowboys. They were doing the work that entails like cowboy work, you know, and I want to bring those stories to light. So that's what I'm going to be developing this coming year. I can't promise I'll have anything to show, but creatively that story is like really capturing uh, my mind right now and, and moving forward with that the other thing i want to tell you about is in 2027 will be 25 years that i've like started being a professional artist mm-hmm. and so i want to put a um a book together um showcasing like my work through these 25 years and so this coming year i'm going to begin that process of of starting that book and we'll see how that goes i hope to have it done so that i could have it my 25th like wow. professional anniversary
0: that's amazing that'd be really really cool <laughs> <laughs> um yeah to to be where you're at today you know all the connections you've made all the working relationships all you know the community representation and how you illustrate stories through art is amazing that you can do that because that's definitely a skill because i'm not an artist and i can (laughs) i can do i can tell stories in a different way but definitely not like that and you do it so well so you know that's uh that's pretty awesome that you've been able to have a success and thank you for also having these relationships with native indigenous communities, especially locally here. I mean, you're also representing me and my people when you put a a mural up in, in these public areas and public places and spaces. And that tells our part of the story as well. And I absolutely appreciate that very much. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. It Really, thank you. It's been an honor.
0: So what separates you from other artists? What would you say? oh gosh i wish you could tell me i i (laughs) i um
1: i think i would say that i've never been um i've never been good at being a full-time artist even though that's my dream i'm susceptible to market trends (laughs) like basically if i felt i feel like if i became a a full-time artist or in other words, if I didn't have a job that like paid the bills, I feel like my art would would change for for the worse. I would paint what people wanted me to paint, and I would paint a lot of commercial things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I have so much respect and and admiration uh, for people out there that are doing that. You know, Jessica Gonzalez. I love her work. Like, I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> Ignacio is amazing. You know, like he's just, he's really killing it. Um, but for me, like I would lose that, I would lose that part of me where I would be af- afraid to do something uh, political or a commentary on, on an injustice. Like I would, I'd be afraid to, that my work wouldn't sell. And then as soon as you start to worry about that, your work starts to change. And so as much as I hate it, like I I feel like I have to keep a, a regular job, a day job so I can creatively be free.
0: Well said. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't
1: know what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, where can folks go to see your artwork around Tucson? Well, first, let me ask this. What was your first mural that you ever did here in Tucson?
1: I was a, a sophomore, I believe, in high school. Uh, it was 1992. And I got a public grant money from the city of Tucson. It was $500 uh, to do public art. And my tío, Edward Lopez, who had the silkscreen shop that was also located in the same spot as the family bakery. I come from my my grandfather, my tata
0: what? Yeah
1: Istaki Urea was a baker and he was like people knew him far and wide in South Tucson. He was right there on thirty third and tenth. My tata also built many of the houses on that block. He built like six or seven homes on cool. that
0: block.
1: Yeah. Well he with help, you know, but um I we accredited a lot of those homes to him. Um so when I did this mural on on my uncle's uh, silkscreen shop my grandfather, my tata had just passed away, and I wanted to do something to honor him. So it was a dedication to him, and I, it had St. Jude on it because he loved St. Jude. And the motif was um, Michelangelo's creation, a painting. And I basically, um, I spun it, you know, I did like a cover on it. And instead of Michael, like God and Adam, I changed the God part to Hernan Cortes being carried by Malinche and like the King of Spain was back there, like kind of pushing Hernan Cortes, you know, through the sky. And then on the ground was Moctezuma, who at the time believed Hernan Cortes to be a God returning. And so it was that kind of narrative of that story that's been told to us. And then there was some other like motifs um, of different cultures and, It was a really a real exploration of like the very first like dive into like public Chicano art. And so I had a lot of like pressure to do something really amazing for myself. Like I put that pressure on myself. Um, But yeah, I was a freshman and I had a bunch of friends help me paint it. And I was super proud of it. Um, And actually, I want to share with you. This is really neat. Um, Barrio Books is moving into that same spot um, it's happening, like, as we speak there. I'm really excited that the South Tucson is going to have a, a cool bookstore. Yeah. And, like, on my street, 33rd. Cool. like, And they are interested in me redoing that mural. Um, but I would love to do it the way I would do it today. So, like, I'm going to actually, like, paint a portrait of my tata, you know? Like, I'm, like, <laughs> cool. already thinking about it. And, and nothing is set in stone. Um, and we're just kind of throwing the idea in, in, around right now, but I'm really hoping that it happens. Uh, it would be amazing to come back around, you know, go back to my, like, first mural root, roots and recreate that mural. Like, that's a rare opportunity, and so I hope it happens. That's something I'm looking forward to next year.
0: That's great. I look forward to seeing that as well, and that's really cool that uh, Barrio Books is uh, having a new location and you're involved with that. Yeah, that's what community is about. Right. All right. Well, as we wrap up the interview, do you have any last thoughts, comments, or even shout outs that you would like to share?
1: Sure. Yeah, I just, I want to thank you um, and for this amazing program. It's really cool. Um, I have so many people in Tucson that are that are supportive of, of me and my work. Um, I want to thank all of you out there. Like, there's way too many names to say. Um, uh, but I will mention Mal Melissa Dominguez because they're just the males, you know, they're just always <laughs> yes. hustling and, and moving things around and connecting people. Um, they're responsible for the Three Sisters mural. You know, they made that happen. They brought uh, Tony Plaque to help me and, and Hydras. It was a group effort, and I couldn't have done it without them. Um, I want to thank my fiance Danielle Love. She's like so supportive of me. And like when I did the mural, like the three sisters mural, I did it in one week and I worked straight for the last like 48 hours. And, you know, she brought me food, she brought me drink and she was just like totally cool with like me, like practically killing myself. So it was a kind of a surreal experience working that much uh, for a week straight. But yeah. Um. Thank you. Thank you again.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to come here and to be with us here at KXEI. You're definitely going to get the full tour after this. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Take a couple of stickers (laughs) home with you. And we just absolutely appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you for
1: having me. I'm really, really honored to be here.
0: You are listening to Cultivating Indigenous Voices featuring Ruben Herrera Moreno, hosted and produced by Tina Andrew. To hear the full conversation and other episodes, go to kxei.org.